0: 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Chelsea Christer, director of Bleeding Audio, a Slamdance official selection. I absolutely love the film. I just want to tell everyone that all the info was on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I love your blue hair. I went and I am like said to my daughter, I need your blue wig. And I'm like, oh, I hope she doesn't think I'm making fun of her. But I just
1: how long have you had blue hair? It's been a while, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, um, it's a thing, I guess. Um, But I've had blue hair since 2008, actually, in some shape or form, there's been iterations where there's been like, you know, half brown, half blue, you know, just different ways of, of having some element of blue in my hair. And I don't know. It's just like, it just feels right. So it's, you it's know. like
0: a pop in color. I mean, obviously mine is
1: fake, <laughs> but you know, it just, there's something about blue. I remember my daughter
0: asked me years ago if she could dye her hair. I'm like, sure. And she was in middle school. And I remember seeing her as one of the first kids to come go to school. And the next thing I know, all the kids are dyeing their hair like pink and purple and blue. And I think it's, it's really cool. Sorry. I got like hair. <laughs> I
1: no, I know those wigs. They just, they shed. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Um, I, I think you did the right thing because when I was in middle school, I wanted to dye my hair a crazy color and my parents were like, no, of course really? not. Oh. And, and no, it's, it's fine because I feel like yeah. now my mom is like the biggest fan of my blue hair. And when I did end up dyeing the top portion Brown yeah. for, um one of my first jobs, she was like, I miss it. You should bring it back. Oh, <laughs> so, see, that's Cool. Yeah. So it, it came full circle, but now, I mean, now it's just blue forever. It's, it, people call it my natural hair color it's uh it's funny I I love it you know it's uh it, it was never meant to be like um like a gimmick it just I just feel comfortable in it so why not I
0: think it's cool I think Thanks. it's so cool um Thanks. so Chelsea how did you decide to make this um documentary I it was fantastic just from beginning to end
1: Oh, thank you. Um, So, you know, I had just finished directing um, a short film and I had that, um, and I think most creators feel this, but uh, I had that like finishing a project depression where I was just like, I really want my next project, but I don't know what it is and what is it gonna be? And I really wanted to do a feature. And um, I've been friends with the matches for so long. And um, at the end of 2013, they let me know that they were gonna reunite uh, for a single, Hilarious, a single reunion show. And um, I, I got super excited about it. I said, this is gonna be huge. And they said, "Oh, hold on, we'll see. And um, I offered to make promotional videos for them. I thought, okay, this will be a great like thing for me to work on and focus sure. on, get some inspiration. But as I was interviewing them, even as like an inner circle type person, there was so much I didn't know about their story that I thought was emotionally very compelling but also as a consumer, just like very eye-opening about um, what my understanding of their success was and what the realities were behind the scenes. And so I thought, um, I, you know, from those little interviews for these marketing videos, I decided I think this is a bigger story. I think this should be a feature to which, you know, the humble matches responded. Okay. If you want to do your, if you want to do that with yeah. your time, you can, but sure. we don't think you're interested. Well, we don't think like we're interesting that interesting. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it turned into, um, you know, two Kickstarters and six years of, of production oh and gosh. interviews and um, editing, but I feel like, uh, I feel like I proved them wrong. Um, you uh, it was, did. yeah, it was, it was a lot, but, uh, we're here. So cool.
0: Okay. So I have to pause for a second. Cause I'm so itchy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Funny story. I had a, a job as a bartender in a movie theater yeah. and they wouldn't allow for blue hair. So really? I said, yeah, seems weird. Right. Yeah. And so I said, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm just gonna wear a brown wig then. Is that okay? So I like had the reverse. I like actually wore a brown wig to the point when finally they were like, okay, this is ridiculous. You can stop this now. And I was like, good, <laughs> good. good. But wigs are so itchy. Oh
0: God. I'm like, I don't think I can last the whole time. <laughs> um, So let's talk about the film because um, you really were able to capture their personal lives, the, their their struggles the stuff they were going through, um, w- were they open to all that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think each guy has a varying degree to, to which they communicate about their emotions, you know? And um, seeing as like, I'm, I'm a friend of theirs, I, you know, I handled each um, each kind of emotional dive with as much care and respect as I could, because I, I mm-hmm. knew that um, in just being friends with them, their relationship to, the matches as a band and Mm -hmm. the career you know every every guy had an element of disappointment and some bitterness to it and um you know for for good reason I think um but what I did see and what helped inspire the story was seeing the reunions be so successful and seeing them kind of tilt their heads a bit and be like oh I think this was different than I thought it was in a very good way and um so when asking them about those highs and lows, I think it, it made it easier to talk about the lows with them because the reunions had happened and they kind of knew what their own outcome to the story was. Um, but it was a little bit like therapy. You know, I I, I had to kind of open up some, some doors that were very staunchly closed. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful for the openness that they gave to me. Sure. Um, I mean, these guys are my family. So like, it was, it it was something that like, you know, I handled with a lot of care and, and they were very generous by not, you know, having anything off limits for me to talk to, but um, it, to me, it was really important because I feel like um, so many music documentaries, and this isn't a criticism, um, but so many music documentaries are so much about like, the rock stardom and you know how great it is and I mm. mean you know there's a ton of rise and fall stories but I just feel like um, there isn't as much talking about the actual emotional impact that this lifestyle can have on people and I that that what that's what compels me is is um, is knowing you know emotion just like the mental health of everybody you know it's... and and how these things can affect people so. Yeah. Um, So yeah, they were, they were great and tender and, you know, we, it was, it was good. I kept it conversational and I think it, it ended up working out.
0: (laughs) And, you know, you really helped uh, the fans see them as really who they were and what they're going through. Cause they were saying at one point, you know, people think, oh, they're making all this money and they have all these songs and these albums and, and they're living in a van.
1: Yeah. You know, and. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I'm guilty of that too. You know, when, when I saw them on magazine covers and I saw them, you know, playing all these shows all over the world, I was like, wow, they're doing so great. Like things must be going so well. Like, you
0: know, smoking your yeah,
1: Exactly, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, one of the bands that really opened my eyes to this because I feel like they had a level of success that was just like a couple notches above the matches was Motion City Soundtrack, who are also you know they've become good friends of mine as well. And um, I know Tony Thaxton in particular. He, I mean, he quit Motion City Soundtrack for the same reason Justin quit, you know, the matches at one point, which was tour burnout. It's just yeah. it's a very unsustainable way to make a living and um you know motion city soundtrack they i mean they actually did jump to a major label they were on you know late night talk shows like they they had this appearance and while they were able to make a living it was exhausting you know um and they too called it quits a few years ago and and did like a little reunion run um you know, on the cusp of the apocalypse last year. So (laughs) it's just, you know, it's an interesting curtain to peek behind. And it's one that I feel like deserves more transparency, especially if you are a conscious consumer and you love your artists. Um, I think it's important to know that um, the outward perception of success, there's a huge dissonance between that and like what's actually going on. Um, Yeah.
0: I mean, so many struggles between having Napster and, you know, just, you know, doing these shows, and then the manager, and I won't even give all the details away, but <laughs> they're just uh, so many um, issues. And then, you know, you just captured their, their personal struggles. And the fact that, you know, everybody needs to have a full life, no matter what you do, especially right now in the pandemic, yeah. you got to have other things going on. To, to bring you back to what you really love? Because I think you put more of yourself into something when you have a fuller life and you're taking care of all aspects.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. like, it's amazing to be able to have your, you know, full-time job be a thing that you love. Yeah. But if that full-time job isn't fulfilling your life needs, then it's not, it's not going to be a healthy job for you and that can cause a bad relationship with the thing that you love most you know which you know for artists would be music for me as a filmmaker you know and like having having basically your dream become your nightmare like is is a really hard thing to psychologically work through and i feel like um you know the rise of the digital revolution you know had a huge economic impact especially in the music industry and the film industry is experiencing this now too mm-hmm. and i mean the kind of irony is that napster has a bigger streaming payout than the streaming services that exist right now which is funny i mean it's mm-hmm. marginal but it's yeah. like you know the actual streaming royalties that come from napster are higher than say spotify you know wow. and it's like um and it's just you know there i think the saddest thing that came out of the digital revolution is is that there is no longer monetary value for music, which is the art form that we are consuming, right? And so, yeah, Yeah. everything but the music is like how artists make money on the music, which is, you know, again, not sustainable. Touring, you know, touring relentlessly is an expense of the human body and spirit, you know? And that there's no like sports team where you can just swap out people if they're injured. Like you just have your artists going and using everything that they have to try and make a living. And now, you know, in a pandemic, when artists can't even make money off of uh, touring like sure. like we're losing that our art. artists, yeah. yeah um so it's it's a really interesting time um, and I hope that the outcome is that more people advocate for music to you know come back as a
0: i hope you know, so
1: as like a, a uh, just to pay for it you know and it's like i'm not trying to sound like one of those funny duddies but it's like there's just such a direct connection no, between our artists sticking around and like yeah and and paying for music you know right
0: yeah i mean i i think of it like um an author writing a book and then you see your book on ebay and it's selling for a dollar 59 and you put all your time and energy to write that book you know and you're like oh my my life was worth a dollar 59
1: Ugh. yeah I know. And it's like, I mean, filmmakers deal with it too. I have a, I have a friend, um, she's a super talented indie director. Her name is Maria Miaya. And she had a film come out called Bring Me an Avocado. She independently released it. And uh, she, it's up on Amazon. And she like, <laughs> she was telling me that she got a Google alert for her film. And she was so excited. She was like, oh, great, a Google alert. And it was a piracy site <gasps> that had listed her film. don't
0: um, worry about the dog
1: okay thanks <laughs> um that's my dog Sagan <laughs> um but it was a piracy site that had listed her film and she was like oh great <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> have I made it now <laughs> right thought it was know? like somebody
0: commenting or
1: yeah and but it's like you know she's independently releasing it and so yeah. every you know the the money that goes to her film through Amazon or anything else like it goes directly to her so like that you know, she's not some big studio like that. Piracy is like right. you know, it's it's tricky to her, and so it, it you know, it's it's all art forms, really. You know, like um, we're all kind of suffering that that digital that digital age.
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what would you like people to know about the film without giving too much away?
1: Mm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, for for me um the we really structured the narrative around the central theme of community and um you know music is an art form but it's also a place and it's like a way to connect with other people about something and so i feel like um whether or not you know who the matches are or you know you're a huge longtime fan i feel like um the biggest takeaway that i feel like you can get from it is just to feel that sense of the magic of the community of music that builds up around our artists. But also I hope that you walk away kind of with a better understanding of how hard it is to be in a band and mm-hmm. have a have a different um, understanding and respect for that, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I also looked at it as, look at the brilliance in the band. I think yeah. three of them were artists. They they just pooled all of their talents, but that wasn't just a talent of singing or playing the bass, it was, hey, I, I have a background in art and I can do this. And it was so much um, dedication, such an intensity. And I hope people, they will definitely see that.
1: I hope so. I mean, yeah, like secretly, I just want to turn the whole world into Matches fans, of course, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, but I feel like whether or not you love their music, I feel like you'll walk away from this film at least loving them, you know? And and that that means a lot to me too. Um, Because they were an explosion of art and no one was more hardworking or dedicated, you know, Um, I kind of say that they're like the perfect band case study because, you know, there was no, um, you know, it's not like they broke up because of addiction or, you know, or or any of these other salacious things that can come out of the music industry, they were one of the hardest working bands and they still couldn't break through, you know, which is I think a testament to how difficult it is. And I think that that awareness is important (laughs) for up and coming artists and consumers of it,
0: you know. (laughs) Did did you always see yourself as um, going to become a filmmaker or is it something that happened because you were a fan of this band?
1: Um, I... uh, yeah, I've, I've wanted to be a filmmaker since I was a teenager, you know, I I started, um, I just, I've always been a storyteller is what I have, like, come to find, you know, and in, in going through and thinking back to those moments where you think, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it started with visual storytelling with photography, and then, you know, morphed into this amalgamation of all my favorite things, which is music, and, you know, great visuals, and just stories, and, I went to film school and um, I actually like started in narrative film and I would like to go back to narrative film, nice. um, but I, I, you know, work in the Bay Area. A lot of it is like doc styled brand content. And mm-hmm. um, so that was kind of my day job and my bread and butter. So when the matches story kind of came across as a potential project, I thought, oh, I've like built these skills as a doc filmmaker. I can apply it to this story and maybe this yeah. can be my first feature. Um, awesome yeah, so it's been a crazy journey. Um, And the, uh, and kind of, you know, behind the scenes, you know, working on a film for six years is a lot of the same thing. So I've been doing a lot of writing in the background, too. So I've got a couple scripts that I would love to do next, you know, that's
0: That's fantastic. How have you been with um, quarantine? Like, do do you, do you feel like because you are a creative that has saved you in a lot of ways?
1: sometimes i feel like um almost being a creative in quarantine it's like i feel like some of the language around it has actually been harder because a lot of people are like oh great you're you know you're at home you got not a ton of things to do. So Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's that whole idea of like, oh, you're at home, you can make things. I'm like, yes, but also the whole world is on fire and horrible things are happening. And it's really hard to sit and focus and create in quarantine. And so I've tried being a little gentler on myself about my productivity, Mm -hmm. but I have been able to um, take the space that I haven't been able to have before to like really think Mm -hmm. inward about about myself as a creative and about like how I do spend my time. And I've had like a lot of great epiphanies and moments that I wouldn't have otherwise had because I'm always just going, you know, my day job usually takes me traveling a lot. So there's not a lot of time to think I've been so consumed by bleeding audio and getting it to where it is today that like having the space to think about what I want to do next was, Mm -hmm. was maybe the best part of quarantine for me. And also, you know, I've got my dog and, and, and he's been keeping He's been keeping us sane <laughs> taking That's us right. out on walks every day That's but but yeah um i yeah uh quarantine's been rough though i mean when you have a film that we we literally we actually had a world premiere in person at oh. uh cinequest in march okay um on march 7th 2020 so yeah it was like a later yep Uh, everything was shut down they shut down the festival they announced it the same day that our premiere was our premiere is like one of the last things to happen at the festival and um yeah and yeah it was those those first few months in quarantine were rough because i thought oh this is the start and yeah everything's and and i was hearing people say oh in three months it'll be over right right were you hearing that Oh yeah, I was hearing all, all kinds of that language. And then I remember seeing film festivals that I had submitted to for like the November timeframe start mm-hmm. canceling. And that's when I was like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> um, but, uh, but then Slamdance uh, got to us and selected our film. And it was just, it felt awesome. like this beautiful renewal, you know? Yeah. So we're really excited. I was gonna
0: bring that up. You must be on cloud nine. I mean, that is just awesome.
1: It's huge. I mean, Slamdance is a film festival that I've respected for so long. They have such a great indie spirit and some of the filmmakers that I've looked up to and admire the most have gotten their start there. Um, so it's, it's so crazy to be a part of that canon. Um, and I hope to, yeah, I just, I hope to get more eyeballs on the film and, and, um, yeah, it's just it's just such I just love Slam Dance's whole vibe and and the um uh the theme this year being green light yourself couldn't <laughs> couldn't have applied better <laughs> to another project oh, so let me tell you.
0: <laughs> crazy. Uh, where can people find out more about you and the film?
1: Yeah, uh, so you can uh, get all the latest updates about Bleeding Audio through our website which is www.bleeding-hyphen-audio.com. Uh, we're on all the socials on Twitter. It's at bleeding underscore audio. And on Instagram, it's at bleeding audio film. I think it's the same on Facebook. And then for me, um, I am on Instagram at Chelsea Christer. And then on Twitter, it's at Chelsea Mark, though, if Twitter wants to give me at Chelsea Christer, I would love for them to do that. <laughs> and, um, and then yeah, yeah. I don't really use Facebook anymore. So okay. And what's happening now with the matches? I, they're, they're disbanded? So they, um, they did a couple subsequent reunion tours for each record. And uh, we were going to do a bunch of shows in conjunction with, um, with the film's uh, festival run. Okay. Um, but, uh, but word on the street is they have demoed a whole new record. And um, mm-hmm. the pandemic kind of interrupted the recording process. But I'm hoping... That they are able to get back to that over the summer and maybe we'll get some new music and some new shows on the horizon when it's safe to gather again that'd be
0: awesome and what did they say about the film i'm assuming they've all seen it
1: <laughs> yes they've all seen it okay. um it's it's a funny uh kind of <laughs> blend of feelings um <laughs> i i know for for justin he I think the first time he saw it, it was like a huge therapy session and he had mm-hmm. to like walk away and come back. Mm-hmm. And now it's given him space to reflect and he's, right. he loves it. Right. Um, John DeVoto, I think for him, he, he got a little self-conscious about it at first. Cause he's like, I'm ridiculous. And we're like, John, that's why we love you. <laughs> like you are, you. everybody loves you. Yeah. I know. Um, and then for Matt, I mean, Matt's very, you know, mm-hmm. Very even keeled, right. keeps that good good steady rhythm. He's like, oh, it's great. Love it. And uh Sean, I feel like I don't know if Sean likes it. I feel like maybe I peeked a little too into the Sean curtain, but he he I believe he likes it, but um, I am sure that having something that's about a time in your life that was a bit tumultuous as a film that people can view is a right. little, you know, it's a little tough tough to experience but I hope he understands that um people love it and love him you know he has a great base who truly truly love him and he's also like an artistic genius so I was
0: just gonna say as a performer I'm I was blown away just did did he do all the writing of the songs it was a collaborative
1: so Sean is like the songwriter so he like writes all these songs and all the guys come and add their textures to it Mm -hmm. but for the most part Sean writes all the songs and melodies and lyrics and um and not only that but like today he's like a super successful children's book illustrator and author and yeah he did like some illustration for day beggars he's doing some great partnerships with his longtime friend Mac Barnett and like he that guy is just so talented it's kind of annoying actually (laughs) <laughs> but he's doing great. And um, yeah, he, I feel like he likes the film, but you know, like it's it's tough, you know? I guess if someone put my teenage years in a film, right. I, I feel the same right. way. Of
0: course, of <laughs> course.
1: But I, I think you really showed their arc. Yeah. I
0: mean, if you think about that, don't you think so?
1: Yeah, I worked really hard to um, actually sit down and give each guy a character arc, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I mean, they naturally had character arcs. But um, it was important to me to approach this film kind of like a narrative, like where my roots are. You know, we, My editor and I, when we were in the final stages um, of refining the film to its lean 90 minute structure, we actually brought in the hero's journey and sat down and took every beat of the match's story and said, does this map to the hero's journey? How, mm-hmm. do, we, how do we make it fit this kind of traditional storytelling format? But also you know what can we put in to show each match's, um you know point in in their arc of like where they start and where they end um when it applies to the matches of the band but also what they come back to at the very end right um i felt like uh sean's art was very important to me too being this like tireless creative force that like drove the creative direction and of yeah. the whole band and seeing him be able to come back to it um, with positivity was really important to me. And same with Justin, you know, I feel like Justin definitely has the um, the the most highs and lows throughout the journey of the band. Yes. And um, it still makes me cry, no spoilers, but it still makes me cry kind of at the end, his reflection. I know. Uh, um, on, on the experience as a whole.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you captured it really, really well. It was so interesting. and And I wanna say for people that aren't familiar with the band their music, their talent, especially Sean, the way he sings, it's so it's so cool, so creative. Like you, you could be an instant fan without even knowing the songs, if you love music, right?
1: I, I feel that way. I feel like they were so ahead of their time and unique. And um, what is great about a lot of Sean's lyricism is he always has something to say mm-hmm. and he makes it accessible, you know? Um, okay that first record, I felt like, you know, being a teenager in Colorado and just dying to get out and try something different, you know, that whole first record just spoke to me. And then, you know, as you kind of age and, and start learning more about the world around you, Decomposer fits that narrative and Abandoned Hope even more, you know, Abandoned Hope came out in 2008. And, you know, there was a lot going on between 2007, 2008. And a lot Mm -hmm. of that unfortunately still applied today, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, really smart lyrics in there that, um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just great. All of it. Love it.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed getting to know you and congratulations and I'm rooting for you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was really a great chat.
0: My pleasure. Stand by one second. I might reach out to Sean if that's possible, see if he wants to be a guest on my show. I don't know if he's doing any interviews.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll, um, I'll put you in touch. He. Okay. <laughs> some of my hesitation was like, he just did a podcast where they asked him, they're like, what did you think of the movie? And he was like, I was so embarrassed. And I'm like, great, thanks, Sean. We're trying to promo the movie. It's kind of silly to say, he for him to say that, because it ties back <laughs> into everything. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I think too, I I think, uh, he's doing so well as an illustrator, Mm -hmm. I think kind of being pulled back into the matches a little bit. He just, I just feel like his mindset shifts a a little bit. So, but he's honestly, he's so smart. And I feel like, um, with a great interviewer like you who kind of guides the conversation, I think he'll do great. So I'd love to put you in touch.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of authors. I've been doing this show since 2011. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, um, Absolutely. And I love music. I'm a guitar player. Oh, cool. Uh, not professionally or anything, but I love guitar. And, um, oh, I love it. Um, one thing I will add, I love what you said, is that people think that creative people are just creating and cranking out stuff. Um, I do a lot of screenwriting, and I felt like with the pandemic, I was so pulled in so many directions. It's like, yeah. I have to finish this, but I can't because this it happened, this mini crisis, you know?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Pressure. So much pressure. I mean, honestly, um, (laughs) there was this comic that came out um, that I feel like captured my feelings about it entirely. And it was like an image of a guy in like a canoe. And there was like a leak in the canoe. And there was like, he's like in the middle of the ocean. There's these huge waves. There's like sharks everywhere. There's like (laughs) the storm, there's lightning. It's like, it's literally the most insane, stressful environment you can imagine. Yeah. And At the very bottom, it says, Now's your opportunity to write your great novel. (laughs) And like, (laughs) and I'm like, That's how I felt is every time I'd sit down to write, I'd be like, Right, but insurrection, like the the election, like I know know, everything that happened in June, you know, like this, this, this unrest in our whole country and then the pandemic. It was, it was just 2020, man. (laughs) Nuts. It was so crazy yes. um yeah. so i the first half i tried not to be too hard on myself and the second half i tried to um a friend of mine said something that like changed my perspective which was i don't want to wait for this to be over i want to like live through this yeah you know mm-hmm. and so like learning to hold both yeah was a thing but it i mean not a, it wasn't a perfect <laughs> right. you know, partnership, but it was something that I feel like I started to yeah, finally move towards, even though right. I didn't get almost any of my writing goals Whatever. done. I got like 20% <laughs> of them,
0: you know? Whatever. Yeah. You know, some days you just kind of have to go outside and lie down under a tree.
1: Oh my God. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or just like take your dog for a walk and
0: yeah. And that just, could be your big accomplishment.
1: Yeah. Like just <laughs> getting out of bed is a I know. <laughs> I know. No kidding.
0: You know, I, I actually do these talks on mental health and self-care and resilience. Cause I wrote oh, a book, awesome. called get the funk out. Oh, And, awesome. um, and a lot of younger people, you know, they're experiencing this mental health pandemic and it's, it's crushing.
1: Yeah, it's, it really is. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, millennial is slightly elder millennial and um you know because I can still remember buying music um and uh and like someone listed they're like oh why are millennials so stressed out all the time and then it listed like all the major like horrific events that we've experienced since like our since being teenagers right <laughs> and I was like oh my god <laughs> like there's there so much know. trauma you know so and I'm trauma. sure too like um the gen z yeah I can't I can't imagine, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, it's definitely a mental health pandemic, but I also feel like it's, it's more socially acceptable to talk about mental health in a way that it hasn't been before. And, and let me I- just,
0: let me interject something while you're yeah. saying, it. I, I noticed it was an article before the pandemic in time magazine about how your generation felt it was okay to talk about their mental health and say, Hey, I need a mental health day. I'm to their manager. I, I'm not going to be in on Friday. I'm going to work. I'm not going to even work. And they just felt comfortable saying that. I thought that's really cool. Whereas an older generation, they would never. Yeah. comfortable saying that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Bad. It is too bad. And I think, um, I mean, and, and you, but you look also at like, at like the history of, um, uh, of just like the difference between, I guess, boomers are like my, you know, my parents, um, there's a generation in between there too um what is it gen um i don't even know gen, gen x i don't even know okay. um gen y uh, anyway um but uh but yeah it's just like the, i feel like the the communication of emotions is different too i feel like um between even my parents and myself like i feel like i'm much more emotionally fluent than they are you know yes. and it's oh, definitely. it's definitely like a cultural thing i think yeah. genera- generationally but right. it's like yeah, there definitely is less of a stigma around mental health. And I like, I applaud Gen Zers who are able to like, be completely transparent in that way and are able right. to harness it sooner. Because I even feel like my generation, it's still like, it's not like there's a stigma, but I feel like seeing a therapist is still a thing that I feel like people in, you know, in their 30s and 40s are still struggling with, you know, really? like, accepting, accepting that that's like an okay thing to do, and not like, wow, a crazy thing to do, or at yeah. least like, middle of the country. Coastal, yeah, I'm sure everybody's yeah. fine with it, but You're I come from the, I come from the middle of the country initially. So I speak to a oh, lot of okay. those people who think therapists are only for crazy people. Yeah. So
0: Those are the people that voted for Trump.
1: Oh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much.
0: I'm not wrong there. Nope. <laughs> well, I better let you go, but I want to thank you and it's interesting I have said that um one of the flip sides of the pandemic is meeting people like yourself because I normally just do this show in audio live on Mondays. Oh, so wow! Th- this is cool. Cause I interview people all different days of the week but meeting people face-to-face has been great.
1: I agree. It makes a yeah. huge difference. And while Zoom exhaustion, I think is still a real thing. Like yeah. I actually am still super grateful for it because of exactly this, right. I do so much better. Like right. seeing people,
0: you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, okay. Keep me updated on any wins, anything that goes on with the film, and I'll keep updating my show blog.
1: Cool, thank you. Yeah, we, because um, we had like a little mini virtual festival run in the fall last year, and so we actually have four audience awards already. Nice. <laughs> and so we're, uh, we're hoping for that audience award for Slam Dance, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um okay. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. So it's amazing. <laughs> Vote for us. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. will.